we are truly in the darkest timeline, so why not travel back to a simpler time, when your toughest choice was what to rent a blockbuster for the weekend, Face Off or Con Air. That's where the Talkbuster podcast comes in. Every episode, Chris Chipman is joined by a guest who relive their time working for Blockbuster. The good and the bad. It's a fun nostalgic dive that, if nothing else, is a great escape. Find the Talkbuster podcast on your favorite podcasting site today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? I am tired. How's it going for you? I am also tired. Yeah. I don't have any specific reason. It's just been a long day. Yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's old, tired. It's not, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm of an age. I get tired now. Yeah, and there might be some stuff happening in my background. I'm sorry. I don't have much control over that. We'll do our best. Podcast ghosts. Yeah, I, I should probably get some soundproofing for my room, but I don't even know. Whatever. We'll talk about that later. I believe <laughs> you, you have a privilege before we get into what we are going to do. Yeah, the people that finance fun things like soundproofing are wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Gelly, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Gelly, Crub, Arthur Crane, Kevin May, Brendan Engel, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Dona Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mill, Scott Rubin, Derek Piccotti, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join the illustrious Legion, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Geeks with Shields. And... If you're looking for some extra content and you want to give us a bit more money, join at the $5 tier because we've got all sorts of extra bonus content that comes with that. By the way, I, I was going to mention last recording, uh, or the hangout, but uh, I pulled a muscle in my jaw. I've strained it, but I've never pulled one. Well, I don't know the exact terminology. Basically, I said that I think that's what happened to my dentist, and he was like, yeah, there's a joint right in front of your ear that basically got... I don't know what the right word for it is, but it has to do with the mouth, uh, the snore guard that I've been wearing. It basically was jutting my lower jaw forward, and over after a while, it just finally screwed up that joint. And so, uh, I've been sore for like 12 days. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, see, I've done like the usual, like you do a big yawn and you pull it, and it hurts like hell for about a minute. Yeah, this is I've, per- I've never done a full pull. Yeah, so dealing with that right now. But anyway, let's get on to talking about less painful things. I'm sorry, I'm just kind of lost on the irony of that. Yeah, I guess. It is funny because I was told by my dentist that the reason why it's lasting this long is because I haven't had an opportunity to rest it, because chewing and talking are not resting it. You just gotta shut up for a little bit and it'll all go away. Yeah. Did you explain what you do for a hobby? I did not explain specifically, but, you know, I gotta eat and I I gotta talk, so not much I can do. He gave me some, some massages to do to help. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man, the way the body breaks is always interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so what are we talking about today? I already know, but tell them. Uh, We're going to talk about magic and how we prefer our magic, a topic that I feel will be have no arguments over what is and is not defined under that term. Well, you know what? Let's get that out of the way right now because I'm going to say personally that magic is anything that is in any fiction that is not that is like fantastical ability creation that is not directly tied to technology now technology can basically intersect with magic there's a lot of future sci-fi oh, that yeah. basically does that and i'll say that that's open for discussion here but for the most part we're talking about things that are not at least explained in the context of their lore as coming from theoretically real technology yeah and i just kind of could like could we do it nope okay then i'm calling it magic yeah like there's a lot of systems of things okay here basic example and one that everyone listening to this should know bending from avatar last airbender that's magic they never call it magic and there are some people who might have an issue with that being called magic because it's basically a physical like key kind of thing instead but for purposes of our discussion it falls under the umbrella of fiction magic i was going to say lightsabers also magic yeah, I will say that that is one of those intersections like, of technology and magic, and I would accept that yeah, for this conversation. I mean, we're getting closer to doing "quote unquote" actual lightsabers, but like the technology does not make sense and is very tied to that universe's form of magic. Well, Star Wars also has actual direct magic with the Force and everything Force. That's related, what I mean. But... Lightsabers are directly in the Force, which is one hundred percent magic. 
But point is that if we talk about something that you don't personally think is magic, get the stick out of your ass. We're not being, like, specific. We're not being disparaging. It's just a general term used to describe how fiction deals with superpowers kind of stuff. Hell, superpowers for this conversation from, like, comics, I would consider magic, despite the fact that magic is also usually a thing in said comics. I didn't even consider that, but yeah, there's, like, the question of why is Doctor Strange magic but not Spider-Man? Yeah, no, for purposes of this discussion, Spider-Man is also magic. Yes, he is not, but in regards to the narrative tool in fiction, he is. Yeah. Anyway, now that we got that inane BS out of the way, we can get into more interesting conversation. So, this was Ulrich's idea, so because it was Ulrich's idea, I would want him to start with whatever brought up this concept in the first place for you. I don't remember. I think the idea just kind of was, I read a lot of sci-fi and a lot of fantasy, and it's always interesting to see how different authors do their magic. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, there was one series I was recently reading where basically magic is treated as that world's version of physics. There are complex mathematical equations used to perform every spell. Yeah, I've heard right I've up seen to some the point like that. that basically they have an analog to the Manhattan Project, which is well, what if we combine use time magic and found a way to harness the energy time magic would use? It's like that's that's really cool. That's not how I prefer my magic, but I love that the author went into, it's like, no, no, magic will be math tied, be tied to math, and we'll have, you know, we'll use semi-realistic thing like magnetic field. So I've thought about this enough that I have a pretty solid answer to the question I'm about to ask you, but I'm curious your answer first. Since you wrote this down, do you have a shorthand for the systems and system is really the best word for this the systems that you personally like i kind of do like in my mind of like there's hard magic there's soft magic there's universe magic there's god magic and there's why are we even bothering calling this magic is my classification system it's funny if if you knew dungeons and dragons better then i could actually apply a lot of what you just said to that but well i know dungeons and dragons has all of those in there like i know there is god magic and i know there is divine yeah the divine magic like pray to the gods and like the paladins and the various you know priests of not paladins clerics though oh that's right paladins power comes from their will well yeah actually it's charisma but it translates to it's basically their their own internal force of personality yeah, and Paladin for me kind of falls under why do we call this magic? A little bit. I mean, when they light their and sword I mean, it's on just fire. Like, well, yeah, and I mean, it's just like, you know, it takes so much effort to do such a minor little thing. I'm like, why are we calling this magic when the guy over here is throwing fireballs? <laughs> There's also a important distinction between high magic and low magic because, I mean, I'm reading Lord of the Rings right now. I just finished, oh, yeah. I, I just finished book three of i actually don't know how many books the full thing but i just literally got to the page today that said book four and i was like all right i don't know how this is actually broken up but whatever it's it's just after uh isengard's been defeated essentially is where i'm at in the story but point is lord of the rings is weird because it falls in some cases under low magic and high magic because the in-universe story is very much low magic and what i mean by that is that the magical effects that happen are generally small They'd still be crazy to real people because we can't do that. But compared to other works of fiction, it's little things like, oh, I make a light (laughs) or... Yeah, or I'm just, I'm really good at this one thing that I can do. Yeah, but back lore history of Lord of the Rings has extremely high magic. Basically anything that Sauron does in any story about him as a character is much more high magic bullshit. <laughs> oh yeah, when you're getting like the divine beings in play. No, Tolkien was fun because I remember watching like, Gandalf's a wizard. Why doesn't he do more wizardy stuff? And then years later, I'm like, he is doing wizardy stuff. By being a really good fighter, that's his wizardy stuff. Yeah, or affecting weather a bit, or being able yeah, to like... Yeah, that, that's his, and it's kind of funny. I look at like, why are we calling this magic when Balrogs exist? But it's also like, well... He makes shields. That's how he fights the Balrog. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, he's got a couple tricks in there, but it's just anyway, the nature of that unit. When it comes to my own personal, when I think about the systems in fiction that I like, there tend to be three different kinds. Now, this is not a hard rule because, again, there are exceptions to everything. But the three kinds of magic systems that I tend to like most are either A, very well-crafted, explained, detailed ones, ones where it's almost like physics, like you said, where there is a, a system in place that the 
creator very obviously spent a lot of time and a, a lot of skill uh, constructing, and the fun of those systems is in kind of going down the figure out the mechanics of how they work. Two is the exact opposite. Magic systems that literally do not give a fuck about the very concept of explaining it. It's like, it's magic. Just let the cool shit happen. Kind of like how we talk about like horror movies. Like, it's better off when you don't explain usually. So you got something similar yeah. going on here where like you've got, when you have magic systems that are just like, it's magic. Except that. Then the third kind, and this can fall into either of the two categories, but personality-driven systems. Systems where the nature, effect, mechanisms of how it functions are directly tied to the personality traits and characterization of the wielders. Usually because that makes for good narrative stuff, and it's, it's more connected to what's going on and not as disconnected. I have some very specific examples, but those are like my, I'd say those are some, like my primary short of hand for when the system works for me. Yeah, my big, my biggest thing is I want to feel like the existence of magic has an effect on this world. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I feel like you just do not utilize, you're just throwing it in to have magic in your world. Yeah. Like, like, if this has not fundamentally changed how this world works, why do you have magic people? Like, here, let me give an example that's going to put a giant target on my own back, uh, because I'm basically going to call out something that I think is a bad magic system in a very, very influential, popular piece of media. Key in Dragon Ball is a terrible magic system for... Oh, boy. I'm glad you said it. Yeah. No, I'm fine saying it. It, it started off in, in original Dragon Ball It is a much more interesting thing because Key is directly tied to, like, physicality. It's directly tied to your body. So, like, training, you know, increases it. It was this, like, enhancement thing. You could tell it's based in some actual, like, Eastern philosophical principles of which you see in anime all the time. But the problem is that while other shows that basically play with the same ideas end up doing some far more things including one of my absolute favorite magic systems which is hunter hunter and i'll explain that in a bit but dragon ball ends up not really doing anything with it as other than an excuse to have balls of light and blast now you might think well doesn't that fall into that second thing you explained where like they just don't bother explaining it and yeah that's how i felt when i was younger because i didn't have the experience of dragon ball but then dragon ball as a franchise falls in this weird thing where it tries to explain it kind of but like only so far so it feels half-assed to me and it feels like as you put it, it doesn't really have an impact on this world it has a major impact on this set of characters but they are such a small Thing in this planet comparatively that i mean i always thought it was weird that in dragon ball you get this impression that a lot of characters in this planet have access to this thing it's just a small amount but they do but then dragon ball z basically shifts that entirely and it's basically the z warriors can do it and fucking no one else which becomes confusing and so it does nothing to me but in the way it's currently presented take away from the story i will admit that i have not watched a lot of dragon ball super i'm not interested in it people who have told me about it and i don't feel like what I'm saying is necessarily fixed in that. So sorry if you're listening and you, and you do think that. But that's an example, I think, of a popular show that has its strengths, but I think that its system is weak. Yeah, all I can really contribute is 95% of my Dragon Ball Z knowledge comes from Dragon Ball Z Bridge, And they don't even really address as much as Lampshade of, I went here and now I have more magic than I did before. Yeah. And it's like, but... What? I don't understand your system. Yeah, I always thought... doesn't want you to. Like, I always thought that there were some aspects of it that I was like, you either should have never explained this in the first place, or you could explain something... Like, they have this thing in Dragon Ball Super called, like, Ultra Instinct and Ultra Ego, which I'm guessing you haven't... You might have heard the term before, Ulrich. Basically, it's some, like, evolution of how, you know, a fighter spirit interacts with their body to the point where they don't have to have conscious decisions of their... That's Ultra Instinct. And Ultra Ego is basically using the power of destruction, which is, like, a whole other magic thing that certain gods have that... It, I don't know. That just I, sounds dumb. I think it's dumb. Personally, uh, no, again, no offense to anyone who likes it, but it just doesn't... One thing I always thought was, like, how come some characters get, like, unique colored power and a lot of characters don't? I, I, that was just yeah, weird to me. that one still strikes me. Like, and again, I'm not asking a Dragon Ball Z fan to explain it to me. It's just an observation. Yeah, and I'm not saying Super that Super Saiyan, 
was a big fucking deal, legendary mythic figures, and they just kept going past that. It's like, what the fuck are the rules of this world? Yeah, we've talked before about power scaling and how... Oh yeah, Dragon Ball Z is not... And your magic, that's another thing. If your magic system has a a floor and a ceiling, I think it's much better, because then you have a good understanding of what the, the capabilities are, and then when you break the rules for that you should do it rarely and it becomes a big deal but when you just keep on raising the roof <laughs> or the ceiling it's it it, it dilutes the whole thing so like hunter hunter right i don't expect ulrich to know this at all because he's not an anime guy never even heard of this hunter hunter is something of a deconstruction of shonen in general it basically takes a lot of ideas that you might recognize from other shonen and figures out ways to flip them like for example light spoilers for some hunter hunter for anyone listening in the first arc there's a tournament and once you see the tournament board you instantly are like oh okay i've seen tournaments in shonen i understand how this works and then they tell you actually every match the loser is the one who goes forward and so at the end of this tournament, there's only going to be one loser. And everyone else gets to succeed and become part of this organization. Which changes the nature entirely of how the battles are conducted by flipping the whole concept of a tournament on its head. Like, Hunter Hunter does that shit all the time. But for purposes of this conversation, Hunter Hunter has a system called Nen. It's key, but it's key that is built into characterization. Like, every... The, Nen is broken up into these uh, six categories... Where it's like a transmuter, an enhancer, a conjurer. It's not really important. It's just important that there are these different ones and that your personality will kind of dictate where you fall. It'll be one or two of them. And everyone's powers are very directly tied to like how they have chosen to express themselves through their powers. Like there's a character who and this comes up with some ridiculous stuff and it comes up with some really cool stuff. Like there's a character who's a big fifties tough guy, dude. Like, he looks like a greaser, but he's also a math genius, so he turned his power into, essentially, uh, banking. He he punches someone, and he loans them some of his energy, and then a little bank teller shows up, who can't be interacted with, but keeps track of, alright, he's lent you this, and now you gotta pay him back an in interest, and every ten seconds the interest goes up, and if this number gets higher than your total amount of energy, you go bankrupt, and you can't use your power at all for ten days. And so then his interaction in the fight is no longer just beating them, it's, I hit you once, and then keep you from hitting me until that timer goes down, and then I win. So, like, it it changes entirely the nature of fights. You know what I mean? Kinda. Yeah. Or uh, or there's a character whose whole thing is stealing other people's powers and putting them in a book. So his whole thing is to try to get someone to explain how their power works. And then if he could just put his hand on their face, then he can steal the power from them so they can't have access to it. So then his interactions with other characters becomes a, like, how do I mentally trick you into telling because shonen characters like to explain their shit so then they made so then this show made a character who literally gets better when someone explains what they do to him interesting now that's actually clever yeah so hunter hunter does that kind of shit all the time and so nen is both a hard magic system and a personality character driven one like one of the main characters and i'll stop talking about hunter hunter here after this one one of the two main characters is a trained to be an assassin from a childhood and one of the parts of his training was frequent electroshock torture to raise his pain tolerance. So when he gets access to Nen, he's like, all right, can I use this? And so he figures out how to turn his energy into electricity, since electricity doesn't really hurt him, so channeling it through his body doesn't really hurt him. So he can use it to hurt other people instead. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, good example. What's a system you like? Well, that's what I'm running through my head. I'm like, what's a really good system that I can remember? I don't know. Warhammer, I waffle on it. I include 40k and fantasy in Warhammer, magic system. It's funny because Warhammer is somehow both... It's funny. Normally when a magic system waffles in between hard and soft, I don't care for it. I like it to yeah. to sit on one way or the other. Warhammer is, again, an exception to this because it does alternate heavily between hard and soft. Warhammer's magic system comes... Uh, we're going to stick with 40k for now because my uh, knowledge yeah. of Warhammer Fantasy and Age of Sigmar's magic is actually a lot 
more limited. I know the winds of magic and whatnot, but in 40k, for the most part, it comes from the warp, and we have a good understanding of what the warp is and how the warp functions, but also they kind of just hand wave things away and be like, all right, a psyker connects to the warp and then their will becomes manifest. There you go. Yeah, yeah, kind of, and then it's like, and sometimes it makes them breathe fire, and other times it makes heads explode. It, it really is whatever we need it to be. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I will give it this, though. It checks that box of it clearly affects how this world works i mean the entirety of the faction of chaos is built into the same thing that the magic system comes from there's that it affected the imperium's history like there's a whole period where they had too many psychers and it messed everything up and certain characters are psychers and they have more power than others and it's again it, it feels very much like this affects the world that it's part of yeah so it doesn't feel like it's just there as set dressing you know like uh, they didn't just throw magic in to have magic they threw it in like okay it's here and this is what it means yeah oh by the way <laughs> another thing that whole affecting the world hunter hunter does that really well too because there are characters who don't even realize they're utilizing the magic system there's a character who is a a master shogi player shogi's like japanese chess um, kind of it's but point is she doesn't even realize that the reason she's a master shogi player is because that is her nen ability but they bring this up over and over again the people who are like master artists or poets or things like that are utilizing the magic system in order to to do their thing conversely again dragon ball key doesn't really play into their world building at all <laughs> i mean outside in the greater universe maybe but not not earth yeah no there's another series i'd uh, like to talk about like i talked about earlier where, you know, it's basically physics. It's uh, Harry Turtledove's The Darkness series, which is a World War II analog. But basically the conceit there is, there is geomantric energy running all over the globe through, you know, or uh, longitudes and latitudes. And it uses the ley line concept. Like, well, what if ley lines were, you know, correct? Mm-hmm. And then treats magic kind of like electricity. Okay. Like, if you have a strong current, you can draw off it, and that's what powers your magic. That like feels... electricity, you can put it in a battery, and you can make weaponize it. Yeah, that feels like an evolution of some real-world paganism ideas, but go on. Well, it's there, but, like, one of the big analogs they do is instead of guns, they have sticks that fire. Basically, it's a blaster, like in Star Wars. Like, we have channeled up this energy in a handy-dandy little compartment, and then we release it in bolts to burn holes in mm. We put it in eggs, which are ceramic containers full of energy, and we throw the battery at you, and when the ba- and the energy has to go somewhere, so it explodes outwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. We And then, of course, we can do basic sorcery, but it's only if you understand the correct equations to how much magic do I need to pull from to generate, like if you wanted to heal somebody, how much energy do I need to pull from the grid to heal you, like how many, which would that actually, you know, pull from you, like if you were otherwise to do this. And it gets like the further kind of out there the science gets, the more it just kind of hand waves and just says it's math. Yeah. So eventually they do get up to creating a nuclear bomb using magic and it's just like, it's math and time travel. Math. Like, okay. It's funny because uh, D&D has a, a bomb that is a, like, some ungodly, like, a thousand magic missile spells contained into what object or something like that, which is what it sounds, what you're reminding me of. Yeah, but it has the, the thing I like about it, though, is it kind of goes, and we have this magic, but it's not dispersed equally across the world. Because some spots are just, they have better hot spots than others. And not everyone, everyone can learn to use this, but kind of like real world, some people are going to be better at math than others. So mm-hmm. there's kind of a hard cap to keep it from being, it's only so powerful. Because you only have so many people that can do this advanced math to make these advanced, you know, spells. And they're literally called theoretical mages. <laughs> I like that. Like, I that's mean... their whole thing. They're just, you know, well, what if we could do this with magic? So I... I really don't want to keep talking about anime. It's just that anime has a lot of good systems. But the thing you just said, there's a show that came out a couple years ago called Jujutsu Kaisen. I don't expect you to have heard of it. But it does a lot of the same stuff I kind of described with Nen, but it's like about ghosts. It's called like Cursed Energy or something like that. But there's a character in it. And there are characters who have... Like, there's this girl who basically her whole power is she creates connections between two things. So she uses voodoo dolls and like hammer and nails 
as her weapons. And then there's another character who I love. His power is very simple. He claps his hand, and then he makes two things swap places. That's it. But they can be any two things. He can replace him. He can swap himself with someone else or two other people, or he doesn't have to do it. So when he's fighting people, he plays mind games. It's like when he claps, is he going to switch someone? Who's he going to switch? Where is he going to switch things? But the thing you remind me of that I want to talk about, there's a character in it named Gojo who is supposedly the most powerful being in the whole show. So he's establishing the ceiling, which we mentioned earlier, you know, power ceilings and power floors. He's the ceiling, and his whole power is he figured out how to take mathematical concepts and turn them into reality. Uh, what he does is, for example, the concept of a of a limit, a uh, approaching a limit at infinity. Like, the farther out you go, the closer you get to a value, but you never actually reach it, which is... You know, what a limit is called in calculus, it's an integral. He turned that into a shield, so that when anything approaches him, it just slows down by half speed every time it crosses a distance, to the point where it's, he's never, it's never actually stopped, it just keeps slowing down so it never reaches him. Or the inverse, which is an exponential curve that turns into, you know, an insane high value because it's exponentially growing, he does that by creating a single bit of force on his finger, and then he exponentially grows it until it's an explosion that just in, is in front of him. And then his ultimate power is he literally looks at someone and then make, forces them to experience the concept of infinity and their brain physically can't handle it, so they're just frozen while he chops off their head or something. <laughs> I can get behind that. Yeah, so he's he's literally math turned to a power. And he put me... When I heard about him and I watched his episodes with him, I ended up going onto like powers wiki and looking at mathematical powers in fiction. And yeah, there's quite a few actually. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because it's a good enough, like, it's got a hard foundation, which is great for, you know, magic. And honestly, I say this all the time. The more advanced math you get, the more it starts looking like magic. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing, and I don't think this is true now, but I remember hearing that one version of the Scarlet Witch in Marvel, her powers were actually that she just altered probabilities. So that, like... yeah. The probability of this object suddenly falling up instead of down is non-zero, but effectively zero, and then she makes it effectively 100% instead. Yeah, no, she definitely had that power at some point, because Scarlet Witch has always had, well, she's a mutant, but she's also a magic user. It's just like, you know what? Pick your lane. Domino does the same thing, except it's only as it affects her. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Domino's also passive. I know that yeah. there's, there's, a, uh, there's a Marvel character who is in like all green who's possessed by the souls of those who've died in war and she has that same power too i forgot what she's called oh i vaguely i know who you're talking about because they pop up in uh secret avengers yeah she has like a four-leaf clover outfit because she's she's lucky yeah. i just don't remember what her name is there's a couple because there's also like black cat sometimes has that in the comics like she brings whoever's close to her bad luck yeah anyway Superpowers, by the way, are very interesting because for the most part in comics, as systems go, they will draw a line between magic and non-magic uh, for terms of... It, let's, let's, take, let's just take DC, for example. Look at someone like Superman, and for purposes of our discussion, he's fucking magic. He shoots lasers out of his eyes, he breathes, you know, frost, he can move super fast, he can see through shit, and the only explanation they give is... Yellow sunlight. Let's He's do all that. He's an alien, and the planet scrambles his DNA. Yeah, he. Oh, yellow, okay. <laughs> yellow sunlight gives him power, so it's extremely soft. Meanwhile, and that's and I'm good for that. I'm fine with that. Now I know there are there are probably plenty of comics that try to give like maybe a little bit more breakdown of the exact mechanics of how some of this stuff work. Like I remember hearing, oh, one of the reasons why he's so tough is because his cells are like extremely dense. Okay. Yeah, the Kryptonian sure. skin cells, or that. His strength comes from him. It's like the gravity's different. But then you open up to, like, then he should be leaving craters every time he lifts off. Yeah. Whereas compared to Zatanna, or... Uh, who, no, Zatanna's a good example. Zatanna, who is one of the premier magic users in DC, and DC's entire magic magic system for her is say it backwards and then exert your will on it. And if you can say it backwards and exert enough will, it just fucking happens. So... <laughs> Also really soft, but has a, me a mechanism, which is really cool. It's clever. You can latch onto it, but you don't have to get too tied up in the, like, the, the specifics of how it's happening. Yeah, see, that's where I don't like my magic when it gets so caught up in trying to explain 
why it works. It starts doubling back on itself and making itself overly complex. I want to give... kind of get down into what we call why is this even called magic? Yeah, I want to give two quick examples of popular things, at least popular in the past, that I have mixed relationships with that are also bad systems. And one of them is an elephant in the room, so I just want to get it out of the way, which is Harry Potter. So... Oh, yeah, that the uh, turf wizard magic <laughs> yeah exactly that so makes no damn sense and again above everything else we say here uh, fuck jk rowling but harry potter which i still enjoy as a story the original seven books but it has evil evil woman <laughs> yeah but it has that kind of problem that Ulrich just mentioned where in the first book it's just fucking magic cool magic shit and you learn what you have to say and the wave the wand but the longer it goes on and the more world building that it tries to do the more questions arise that don't have good answers and they have to hand wave things away but they've had enough details in where it really feels conflicting like they could hand wave things away a lot more to prevent these problems but they don't i mean one of the most basic examples right is owls the very concept that they would use owls for their communication in a in a world where they have all these various magic ways to communicate or travel instantly by the time the fifth book got introduced or even the fourth book with port keys it, it makes no sense and it raises so many stupid questions especially because owls are terrible to take care of like if you've had owls are really cute but they're very dumb <laughs> very yeah messy. no there, there's a reason we have not trained owls to deliver messages in the past yeah like they're literally one of the dumbest like birds of their size which i hate saying because i love owls and they're rep and we think of them as wise mostly because they were associated with like athena in ancient greece and shit and they look but they're actually very stupid <laughs> but like that kind of thing or they have to give like a hand wave example of like oh technology just kind of doesn't work around magic things so which a lot ultimate... of fiction will do for some reason yeah no the ultimate irony to seeing what jk rowling has become and it's very much there in her stories she cannot admit that she fucked anything up or she's wrong she I just mean, keeps doubling down on it yeah the classic example and basically the first big red flag with jk rowling was when she revealed that up until you know a couple hundred years back wizards didn't have chamber pots they just went wherever they wanted then magic did away and it's like what 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 that is detail oh, yeah. that no one asked for that no one wants <laughs> yeah no it is just like all any credit like we really should have seen this coming a lot sooner any criticism was met with bullshit that doesn't make sense that we didn't need rather than saying hey you know i didn't think of that like a lot of authors will go oh yeah i didn't think about that it's just a book she would try and invent something that just made it worse yeah and i and i know that Again, Rowling wasn't concerned with what I'm about to say, but the way that magic is set up from a combat standpoint, there's no, it is no better, and I mean like literally it is worse than old firearms. Like 1800s firearms are better than dueling magic. Yep. <laughs> because we can see the spells move they're dodgeable they are counterable if i shot a wizard with a fucking flintlock pistol they're not gonna be able to react fast enough to stop the damn bullet yeah no harry potter like the longer timeline we have and even setting aside the mountain of garbage that jk rowling is right time right place yeah again you know? i still i have my my books and i still like them i think they're a good coming of age story and they actually have a pretty good story about challenging authority and stuff but yeah as a as a fantasy setting it starts falling apart weirdly enough as the narrative parts get better the the world building parts get kind of worse yeah i'm just saying like you really start to analyze and not even like harsh criticism like criticism that a teenager young adult would levy at these books going this doesn't make sense yeah we just kind of all got swept up in it because well let's be honest fantasy books we were reading old stuff we hadn't hit this new wave yet. Yeah, and then the other thing I want to talk about real quick, because it's been shut on enough by the internet for years, but Twilight, I just want to mention, from the very beginning, something that made no sense to me and is my go-to example of not thinking of the consequences of what you've written is that Twilight offers zero reason throughout the entirety of its franchise for why vampires don't rule the world Daybreaker style. In... In any other piece of fiction where vampires exist, the fact that they are destroyed by sunlight, 
They're warded off by garlic. They're kept out of houses that they can't get into. They can be killed by wood. Like, there's a very we've specific... Got a couple, we got some real strong encounters. Yeah. yeah, there's very specific reasons why they have to remain in the shadows. They are very powerful, but they have very exploitable weaknesses, and they have to stay away from that. Twilight's vampires literally don't have that. They make it very clear, and I think the second book, that they're basically as durable as marble statues and to kill them you have to rip them apart into pieces and then burn every individual piece and that no human has the strength to do that because again they're built like marble statues and they don't just get destroyed in the sun in fact they they glitter which means that if you follow the consequences of this they would absolutely have just been worshipped as gods and had never had a reason to go into secrecy. They should just be ruling the fucking world as the gods of the world. And that always bothered me more than it... Like, there's a lot of problems with that book, and I feel like I should be more mad about the, you know, the more obvious narrative problems, but I just... My brain's obsessed with that stupid lack of follow-through. You know what bad I mean? Bad world-building is bad. But anyway, Twilight's been shot enough by people long before we ever started doing our podcast, so I don't want to sit here and kick that dead horse. I just want to give it an example of, like, you got to figure out what, if you write something magic-wise, how, like you said, how does this affect the world? What is the consequence of this existing? So while we're poking hornet's nests, let's talk about Avatar and Legend of Korra. Okay, I think... Because Avatar... I'm, I'm not here to shit on Legend of Korra. It was dealt a bad hand, and it did the best it could. Admittedly, I, I will say that I think the best individual season of either of those shows is Legend of Korra Season 3. But I also think the worst individual season of, it, of either of those shows is Legend of Korra Season 2. So Oh yeah, 2's bad. Like, 1's not good, but 2's just... Yeah, but 3 and is again, fucking awesome. They got, they got screwed over by Nickelodeon, just... Time and time again, every turn, they got fucked. But three is the one where we get Henry Rollins as a nihilistic killer airbender, and he kicks ass. Yeah, all get the... that anarchism and nihilism. And yeah, no, I, I love that season three so much. And I like season four quite a bit, too. Plus, Zelda Williams makes a really good villain in general. Yeah, no, it's, it's just... So let's but, talk about that real quick. Okay. Let's talk about Avatar. So as a Avatar's ma magic system. Yeah, as a magic system, bending is very well constructed. It's very simple. It, at least in the beginning, before they give an explanation, because as much as I love the Avatar 1 two-parter, it raises some... Oh, it fucking breaks my brain. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful piece of art as a short story. It creates problems with how the system is portrayed in the series. Anyway, before that, though, like, okay, we do a certain set of moves, we can manipulate elements. Sure! And there's some level of genetic requirement, since firebenders can't become other benders for example other than the avatar so there is some natural predilection which means that you're gonna have people who literally can't be benders and other people can only be whatever they've been defined that's pretty easy you don't ever have to say that that just kind of naturally flows through the fact that it comes from martial arts means you've got a good visual like way to tell it and you've got a very good learning curve to how it it evolves we also see from the very beginning we get our ceiling because we see what Avatar or Aang in the Avatar state can do, and that establishes our ceiling. It in it also is very good about having a world that is a consequence of that existing. We see that especially yeah. in things like the Firebender's technology, how a lot of it is based on them firebending it to work. Yeah, each separate kingdom you can tell, okay, this nation works with water, therefore lots of waterways, and they, lots of ice structures. This country works with earth, lots of stone walls. This country works with fire. Industry felt like a natural evolution. Air, they were nomadic because they could control the currents. Yeah, it's got a little bit of that personality thing in it. Not fully, but you get an impression that each of the bending types tends to pressure the user to a certain type of personality. Again, there are there's variety in it, but I mean, the whole bending concept itself is based on the four humors, which the four humors were themselves basically a way to explain differences of personality. There's a whole long history to that shit. Check out Teenage Mutant Turtles if you want a better primer. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, but so it, it naturally lends itself very well. It is both a hard system and a soft system. It's a hard system because we see the exact kind of motions and principles that get it to work but it's a soft system because they never in a in in avatar anyway explain why they can bend the closest we get is that you know the 
the the turtle lion lion turtle teaching yeah, lion turtle just giving Aang the ability to energy bend. So like well, okay, it's I think the idea just kind of is like certain people this world has an innate like overflowing nature of energy and that the right people with the right combination can utilize their own internal energy to manipulate the materials around. Now, I, I would say that in Avatar's three seasons, it basically is not like the best magic system, but for the purposes of the narrative, it is a perfect magic system. It serves yeah, all like of... We, the closest we ever is it talks about chakras and it explains the chakra system very well and it talks about, okay, no energy, no bending. Yeah, cool. I'm, the guru on the mountain teaching Aang how to control the Avatar state is basically a way to be like, hey kids, if you find any of this interesting, here's a connection to some real world, you know, mysticism stuff that, and I applaud, there's some real terminology for what's actually going on there. I don't want to say it's Taoism, but I think Taoism's related to it, so I'm trying to be It's a, in there, but neither of us are qualified to speak to it. Yeah, again, I'm not an Eastern philosopher, and I don't know how real world chakras are taught so i'm not gonna claim i just know that those there are real teachings that this is being pulled from and i think that's really cool yeah cora succeeds in some ways and falls in others i like yep. i like that when the basic premise of cora is we jump ahead like what a hundred years something like that no less than no less than it has, like 60 it has to be but uh i don't know no because hold on ang i remember ang died young he died in his 40s and then yeah. cora was born like right after that and then we see her as like a teenager. So I think it's like, I think it's like sixty well, years. Well, because we most. have Shoujin, who's supposed to be like forty, and that was Aang's oldest child. Yeah, so I think I think it's sixty years. I think something like yeah. that. Yeah. But anyway, so we got sixty years in the future. We see evolution of technology. We've got a. Uh, there's no like intense war. There was probably some you know remnant war happening, but for the most part, peace. And then having a, a the four nations come together in one city makes sense that they'd figure out a way to innovate. The fact that we have this kind of like 1920s, maybe a little earlier, it was like 1880s, hard to explain. No, it's it's 19, see that, there's Let's address that off in the room. It's 1920s America. Yeah, yeah. Specifically. For Which, reasons that no one's ever been able to explain. Uh, Well, melting pot idea, the original idea of what America... I, I will say that I'm one of those people that I think the ideal of America is the melting pot, so I like that that seems to be the particular image that they were going for. But I don't know. It's still, I'm in the camp of you went from a really cool, unique, Eastern-based idea to, look, it's the Sears Tower. Look, it's the gold, it's the Brooklyn Bridge. Look, it's New York. Yeah, you know, I explain how you got there. I am fine with that. I, 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 you could argue that even with the melting pot idea, it probably should have looked more Eastern in general. But well, the, the problem, my big problem is, look, it's the Brooklyn Bridge, but we gave it those roofs that you see on the Chinese restaurant, so you know it fits. I feel, Felt, yeah, just, it feels a little. It's like, oh, that's just no, stop that. But anyway, in regards to how bending is treated, and as one of the first things that I think it does well is, okay, how does a more modern society? evolve with this stuff and one of the two of the most basic examples we see is all right how do we utilize bending in a uh industrial revolution yep. well firebenders can generate lightning so that's power that's a really efficient way to get power too so it yeah. makes perfect sense there are people whose job it is just to fucking power things like that's brilliant and then how sports work the idea of all right this is a a city with all, all the benders, so we literally make a sport that's built around this concept of the benders working together. That's a brilliant evolution. Sports as a have been an important part of cultures for thousands of years, but in modern culture, it literally became the thing that like you know those big cities would kind of all come together around. I, mean, I guess that's true for ancient cities as well. But it, yeah, this isn't new. Yeah, complicated. We like watching people do ex uh, things. Yeah, exactly. But that's a perfect like evolution as well. It is a little odd that. We see very little of the other nations, but we start off at the Water Tribe, and the Water Tribe doesn't seem to change much. Now, you could argue that there are real-world civilizations like that that have resisted modernization, and that that's probably what's happening, but I don't know. I got the impression from the original Avatar that the South Water Tribe was the way it is, because they were basically constantly in battle whereas the North Water Tribe was the way it was because they basically had already been eliminated, so there was no growth for them. Yeah, well, the Southern Water Tribe was like, they were kind of the road, they broke off, and they were, you know... Do I have that backwards? Nine. Which one was the big, was the South big? The Northern or... Water Tribe is the big one. Okay, I was right, okay. And the Southern one was, you know, where our main cast comes from. And, you know, yeah, they're fighting off 
they had Fire Nation come rock their shit, and I think they were kind of they were they were less centralized. But one of the things Core should have done is like all of these nations working together, they can all utilize their technology. What would that look like? And when they got to, we made a car. I'm like, why? Why would you make a car? How does internal combustion work in a world which people can generate motion through earthbending? Yeah. Well, I mean, the impression I get is that the physics of their world still follows ours, so a combustion engine would still function the same. But, and, and you get the Where impression... Where's the Because we know coal. Coal exists, so oil should, in theory, exist. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, I got the impression that they that that's one area where they probably jumped forward in technology because we, you know, they can lightning bend, they can create powered batteries. Yeah. I don't know. See, that's where Core kind of falls apart. Is it takes its world's magic, but it doesn't say it stops showing how the magic affects this world outside of the central premise of which is a good one. Benders are a minority, but they tend to shape world events because their magic's so powerful. Yeah. That is a great that's, social. That's interesting. That is a great social economic commentary there. Well, that's using your magic. Like this has had the direct effect of this world. I just wish it carried through to the rest of it, or even the rest of this series. Yeah. Now, mostly as far as where Korra falls, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because I would rather be defending Korra. Honestly, I, I think Korra is generally yeah. overall a good show. But season two spends a lot of time on spirit bending. Season one doesn't really fall that flat when it comes to how bending is portrayed in the evolved thing, other than never giving an explanation for why the bloodbender mixed with shot with chi blocking to basically emulate energy bending. I kinda get it. It's somewhat implied, but it's just it's just weird. But season two spirit bending or not spirit but like spiritual stuff the explanation, the exploration of Avatar Wan and how he got his power, like bending, just didn't exist before he essentially got that. Which well, it did, but you got gifted it by the Lion Turtles, and that's how it determined who got it. Which but... raises some questions about the genetic aspect of it, which was there in the original series, and then the whole like changing. I love how in Avatar: The Last Airbender, the Avatar state was described as you get all the experience and knowledge of every one of your past lives. And that yeah. it implies that everything that he does in the Avatar state, he could do outside of it. It's just not, like, he does, he does not, it's not easy for him. But then yeah. Korra basically is like, no, there's a super powerful light god that's combined with your spirit, and, and that's why you can do stuff. They over-explained their magic system, and it did it to, I don't know if there's ever a good example of over-explaining your magic system. Like, it hasn't proven to be the detriment. It's like, stop what makes it fun is we don't have this and we can kind of go okay i have a loose understanding but when you start trying to put hard definitions on it's like okay well now you've given me the textbook i'm going to look back at the places it doesn't fit and go that doesn't make sense yeah i i love the idea too that and i've i've actually argued with people about this so bolin it one of the characters in Korra is an earthbender whose brother is a firebender thus we know that their parents were one of each because we don't I don't believe we're ever told they're like half brothers or anything. We, they, we're just told they're brothers. So that means one parent was an earthbender, one parent was a firebender, and then Bolin becomes a magma bender. Now they never say that magma bending only can come about from having that parentage, but it feels like a pretty easy implication, right? Like, oh, Bolin has now developed the ability to melt earth, which is a heat thing, and his brother's a firebender. It just makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a positive exploration of your magic. Like, what happens if you start combining these styles and, you know, talking about that? That is a very interesting thing. So, no, that, that's a good example of expanding. Like, this is what we have. Now let's expand it and let's see what the next natural evolution of that is. Yeah, so I, that's why I say I think Korra, for the most part, has it pretty well. Hell, the fact that Season 3, like I said, my favorite one, explores the real consequences of an evil airbender who we literally see asphyxiate a woman to death on screen no holds barred no pussyfooting around that's what he does like that's crazy cool shit <laughs> i think ultimately if the cora team had the same deal they did when they did avatar which is you're going to get three seasons go ahead and tell your story and not you're going to get one season okay you're going to get another season okay you're going to get a season but half of it's going to be online okay, you don't get a season, it's going to be all online, wrap it up in this time. Yeah, which is what I mean when I say that, like, I think by season three they were like, okay, you know what, we're just going to do what we want, assuming we'll be able to finish it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know what they were going to have or where it was going to air, so I think that really kind of fucked up, because they had some brilliant ideas, and you kind of see it, but not all of the ideas totally 
pan out and work. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Are we forgetting? Like, I know there is the Wheel of Time magic, which was explained to me at nauseum when the show came I don't out. know. I made fun of how bad it was, but I don't retain any of it. I don't know anything about Wheel of Time, so I can't comment on it. I, can... I just remember that it's like something about the magic is they're drawing the points, and that's how they cast the spells, and that's why magic takes so long to cast and looks so dumb in that show. I will say that one of my favorite fantasy books, I'm currently reading it out loud to my girlfriend who's never experienced it, is the Kingkiller Chronicles. Have you read them? I've heard of them. Yeah, The Name of the Wind and uh, The Wise Man's Fear. I have not read A Slow Regard of Silent Things, which is a short story, but I'm waiting for The Doors of Stone. But it has a magic system that is brilliant because it has one part of the system is completely hard magic, and then another part is completely soft magic, which is funny because I'm, I'm now finding out that I like systems that can do both without feeling like they're compromising either. So, yeah. Which is not an easy tightrope to walk, I think. Oh, fuck no. So, but there's a reason people are generally vacillate either into there are no rules, it does what the fuck I want it to do, or these are the rules, no, I will not be exceeding them, I don't want those questions at Comic-Con. Yeah, so in Name of the Wind, the hard magic system is uh, called... Oh, why is it not escaping? It's not like symbology, it's... it's uh, Fuck, I can't think of the word. It, it has to do with... Because they go in a long time explaining it. It's basically you're, you are connecting two things within your mind, and then you make those things actually connected in reality. The basic example they give is they take two quarters, and they connect them, and then when they raise one of them with their hand, the other one just raises in midair. But they go in a long detail to explain, like, but well, you still have to raise both of them, so the quarter you're raising will feel as heavy as two of them. Actually, a little I've more. I've heard of this, like, other places using this. Yeah, and they talk about how, like, it actually will be a little heavier than two of them because there's a leaky connection, so some of the potential energy is getting lost. And they talk about how the, the whole world of the King Killer Chronicles is built on, like, using this concept of, like, oh, I want to have, uh, you know, be able to, to turn this light on so I've got this campfire and then I make a connection of the campfire heat to this you know this thing and so it heats that up and creates light or I can convert the the heat from that into the light here or the force from this into kinetic energy over here and there's a lot of and they talk about like the similarity between the two things makes it easier so when you're trying to connect two things that aren't alike at all it's much more difficult and the connection is much leakier and that's why they talk about like having a piece of someone is called a momet and lets you do crazy things to them because you can now connect whatever thing you've created directly to a person's body which at one point is how he fucking kills people by connecting a corpse to someone and then stabbing the corpse so jeez oh, so it's voodoo no, i've heard of similar systems like that where it's like and that's what makes it powerful like you can do these things but it's going to expend the energy it would take you to do that physically but if you anchor yourself to something else you can kind of siphon the energy through you yeah that's the hard uh magic the soft magic is naming which is the thing that the the main character wants throughout the whole book. The reason he gets, he starts learning magic is because he saw someone call the name of the wind and he wants to learn how to do that. And naming, oh, yeah. Yeah. And when he starts learning about the, the other system, which it's really pissing me off that I can't remember what it's called because it's got a cool name, but he starts learning that and he's very, very good at it, but he just gets kind of disappointed because it's basically science and he wants to know how to do true magic. And he does eventually kind of figure it out, but they make it very clear that like naming basically means you know something's true name and if you know something's true name you just have fucking control over it so he inadvertently says the name of the wind and that suddenly gives him the ability to muster like gusts of wind or completely control the currents around him so and they don't bother really explaining other than you know the name of something you have control of it <laughs> I want to know who came up with it because that's a very common fantasy thing. And I love the idea. It's like, you know, everything has an inherent name given to it by whatever the fuck made this universe. Yeah. Like and once... it's just like an ironclad law. Yeah, but also they, they do make it clear that naming is not like... Like, you can't keep a name necessarily in your mind as like a memory. It's more like yeah. you have to access the name. Like at one point, he comes face to face with a a goddess who is one of those like old school Irish goddesses who's gonna fuck him over but in his moment of desperation he can see her name and once he sees her name he calls it and it freezes her and later on he can't recall it he just knew it in that moment <laughs> yeah no that's an old I know that's been in fantasy for a while and it's a really cool idea but 
before we end, we do got to talk. I realized there's one we forgot to talk about, which has an interesting magic system, shall we say. Sure. Uh, that is a Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones. Which it's magic's a big shrub. Ooh, uh, so for the most part, it's low magic. Yes, like, very low magic. Yeah, there are some... Like, might not even be magic. The highest... Sometimes it is. Yeah, the highest magical things are the existence of the White Walkers and the Dragons. But as far as, like, things done by people, fairly low level. They for the most part, don't have much of an impact on the world with the big, big asterisk exception of the White Walkers' creation themselves was an act of magic that fucking changed the world. Uh, yeah. I mean, the best way that I, like, I can tell that Martin's intention was, and I love this description of, there's always just enough magic for a little thing that makes you go, did that, that really happen? Because it's kind of based on the idea that there used to be a fuck ton of magic in the world, and it's slowly been leaking out. Well, I also got the impression, I remember hearing people talk about this, I don't know if it was, like, confirmed in the, because it's been a while since I read the books, but... I just finished reading them. Yeah, I, I got the impression, too, that dragons were somehow directly connected to the source of magic, and thus dragons existing in the world is directly causal of their oh, being yeah, there, there magic is, in the world. There's 100% something tied between the coming of White Walkers, the return, and the return of the dragons. Because in the book, Melisandre talks about, like, yeah, a lot of the shit we red priests do isn't really magic. It's just we understand basic science and metallurgy and some other stuff. And every once in a while, we kind of can pull something off, but something has changed, which they interpret as the Lord of Light is imbuing us with more power so we can resurrect the dead and shit. But even then, they're like, we're not supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I get the feeling that Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, when it's working properly, magic is an extremely subtle thing. Like, yes, there are cases, like the White Walkers, like the Dragons, where it's a very big thing, but for most of the setting, it's this subtle, like, manipulator of events. And I think that it tends to work best that way. I mean, Song of Ice and Fire is more than anything, it's more of a fantasy political drama than, a like, a straight fantasy, so... Eh. Yeah, but it's just, again, I would describe it as it's very shruggish yeah in, it might be magic i do like the few times when characters are faced with what is very obviously magic and have to how the world how they like the the best example is what uh beric dondarin is that what his name was yeah like Baric straight up Dondarin. coming back to life multiple times and it's i remember talking to my friends i'm like if i would lived in that world and i literally saw a guy get chopped in half his friend chant some words over him and then he stood back up i'd be like okay i'm convinced sign me up <laughs> that god's a real god and i also kind of love is like the old gods are just kind of like they're very grumpy they're literally old gods like they don't really give a shit about you one way or another yeah but if you piss them off meanwhile no. relor is just like light the boat light them all on fire <laughs> yeah relor is a very aggressive showy god but also a very petty god yeah, well, it's a very specific metaphor and not a very subtle one at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then last thing I kind of want to talk about because it ties hand-to-hand is, have you seen any of the movies from uh, Cartoon Saloon? No. Uh, Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, Wolfwalkers? No, I've been wanting to watch those ever since Secret of Kells first came out, but I've just never Oh, they're so fucking good. I watched all three with my daughter, and the running theme of them all is, is like, yeah, we used to have magic, and it's gone now and there's only tiny little fragments of it left and even that we're losing Ooh. but if you know where to look it's still there and it's this perfect irish thing of oh that's incredibly beautiful and incredibly sad very irish but that like each one basically ends with there used to be magic and now now it's gone why are you crying by the way when i say very irish what i mean is it's very irish mythology which has a real strong habit of you know the fae fucking you over so yeah well that's basically what we used to have magic when we had these old agreements like yeah they got to fuck us over we got cool magic and then well we stopped we decided we didn't want that anymore and we wanted this new stuff so we lost the magic that used to be in the world as kind of a not so subtle metaphor for the colonization of ireland yeah well you know i that mm, yeah 
<laughs> like, so literally, Wolf Walker is all about Cromwell's burning of Ireland. Damn, I, I really want to watch those movies. I just haven't got around to it. But you did remind oh, me that I, I have one more system that I want to just mention. Not even explore, but just mention. American Gods. Because oh, yeah. the very concept in American Gods, which actually informs my real-world philosophy and belief in a way, is that magic is a consequence of shared belief. Or not even shared, of just belief, but shared belief intensifies it. So in, in American Gods, magic exists because people believe it exists. And yep. I find that to be super appealing. Because it also is, it basically is a way to explain slash hand wave people who don't believe it exists it doesn't exist for them because they don't believe it, so it literally does not exist for them. The people who do believe in it bring it into existence through their very belief, and that's that yeah. is strong. <laughs> and some places, you know, if you haven't read American Gods, go read American Gods. Fantastic book, terrible series. Yeah, still my favorite book for a reason. Uh, yeah, no, I do love that system. And again, it's very you know, anything that happens, it kind of has that Game of Thrones show. Like, was that magic, or is he just really good at talking? Yeah, because the main the main supernatural character is a con man. So there's this idea half the time is, was that like sleight of hand or was that actual god magic? <laughs> and the book very much goes, yeah, both. Because, you know, the idea is not a lot of magic left in the world because people don't believe in it. But hey, you believe in me, so maybe it was magic. And it's this very frustrating kind of like, you know, what the hell? Yeah. Anyway, this is literally the kind of conversation where we can devolve into just talking about shows books and games where we like or and or don't like and not, i'm not gonna lie that conversation is appealing to me but we've been going for about an hour and five minutes so we should wrap for now but if you're interested in hearing us talk about more systems we like more systems we don't like you know let us know because i'd like an excuse to do it again <laughs> yeah i feel like if we made an effort we could make a concrete list like all right let's talk about the magic as represented in fucking gauntlet with the game gauntlet? Yeah. It's like, I was throwing, like, I'm not going to say Zelda because I don't know jack shit about Zelda. I never played well, the game. Funny thing, Zelda, I don't know Zelda very well, but I know that Zelda, for the most part, its magic almost is artifice. Like, it comes from items, like, not from internal. There are exceptions. We didn't even talk about enchanted items. Yeah, exactly. There are exceptions, Zelda fans, I know, but for the most part, like, Link as a character, his magic literally comes from just shit he finds. <laughs> Yeah, we like, we scratched the surface of D&D &D and their magic system, which I know is vast and complex. Well, the reason why it's vast is because it's basically encompassing of so many other disparate magic systems. Yeah, that, that'd be a whole conversation. Though, well, so. they also wanted to make sure, like, it, it's, a, it's an imagination game. You should be able to do whatever you can imagine. Correct. No, and I feel like there's, a, again, I'm sure there's a ton we're missing out on. So maybe we'll do a sequel. Let us know. Yeah. Anyway... We don't have a guest this week, so I'm skipping over the guest plug on our notes. <laughs> and we might delete me saying that. But that brings us into our suggestions of the week, which I'm going to suggest something that has a soft magic system that I really like, which is a movie that I know Ulrich's seen too on Netflix called Nimona. And if you have heard of it, it was like very highly rated on Netflix for a while at the time of you know, recording. It's extremely worth your time. It was actually made in, like, 2020, but got shelved for, like, bureaucrat yeah. reasons. This was a... Disney was gonna shelve it forever, but sold it to Netflix. Yeah. Because and, they're cowards. Yeah, exactly. It involves some LGBTQ stuff. It doesn't know. involve... It's about... I, yes. Yes. But I would say that it's about it in the same way that, like, The Matrix is. That, like, if you don't... Anyway, different conversation. Nimona's fucking great. <laughs> is fucking great, and the only real magic in it is that the main character, not a spoiler, it's in the trailer, is a shapeshifter. It, like, I thought she was, like, a Beast Boy-style shapeshifter, but it's actually more complicated than that. But yeah, she's just a shapeshifter. It, but, I don't know, it's an animation. It has some of the best facial animation this side of Across the Spider-Verse, and Nimona is a great character. She's basically, like, an old-school riot punk girl, and I, I adore that. And then the... The, the main night guy she's with, who's, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name because he's, he's a really fun guy, but it's just a fun animated movie worthy of your time. There. Yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll go into that end of the year because that's in my top five easy. My daughter's watched this movie so many times. It's it is so current. It's currently in my top five as well. I just love its utter lack of subtlety on the subject matter. I'm like, oh, you're just coming right out and saying it, and yeah. now I know why Disney didn't want to release you. No, I look, I look forward to talking about it in more detail, but for now, spoiler-free, 
yeah, go watch it. Oh, and it is kid friendly. Like they they're probably putting it as like PG for stupid reasons, but well, it's it's got a it's got two men kissing. That that that'll confuse the youth, yeah. don't you know? No, it's it's totally like fine for your kids. They'll yeah, it, love it. It's it, it's a great move. My they'll want they'll want to be pink sharks. Is what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, my daughter has demanded that we go out and get the comic it's based on. Which I've read is actually quite different, but anyway. I am curious. It's got a cool art style I can dig. Yeah. What, what's your suggestion of the week? Uh, I've got a ton of suggestion, and uh, I'm going to say uh, They Shall Never Grow Old. I haven't heard of it. This is the Peter Jackson documentary on World War One vets. Okay. He gathered up a bunch of live actual footage from you know world war one interviews with the men that served uh during the war before the war after the war and he restored it and it's in color and the level of restoration the before and after is amazing like some of this stuff is so faded and scratched you can't even tell what it's you know what's what's there and he goes through and you can see it and it's not so much like telling you the war it's just telling you the experiences of these men, the good, the bad, the shit they saw, the good times they had. There's a hilarious segment where they're talking about the bordellos that were stationed behind the line and getting, you know, uh, leave. And one soldier goes, and there was this giant woman, just just massive. And keep in mind, they're all English, so they've got hmm. these posh, proper British English. And she, she, she bent me over my knee and began spanking me. And I'm like, oh, that dude just discovered he was into some kinky shit. That's funny. <laughs> giant woman. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, it's followed by like, and then here's this depiction of this horrible charge and all this horrible shit that happened. But, like, and again, the most dist- interesting thing is like, yeah, it was a nightmarish experience but I don't regret it because it made me who I am today. I'm like, whoo, lot to unpack there. But it's, right. just, it's a really good documentary. Okay. And the World War One, which I feel like we're starting to talk about more, but definitely deserves more insight. Yes. There's, you know, I'm not touching that. There's a lot there to unpack yes. what you just said. <laughs> Another like time. Like I said, the whole documentary, it's really good. And again, it's the biggest thing I can suggest is to see footage in color that you've never seen before kind of makes it, it hits different in your brain, I think. All right. Very cool. Well, take us on the outro, Ulrich. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things that podcasts demand of you. Because honestly, I don't know how podcast growth works. I don't think anybody does. So just, just, just I know that if you share it with people, we're that much more likely to have a new listener. Yeah, and we've been a little static for a while now. I'm not particularly bothered because I actually adore our audience pretty well. But, you know, wherever you're currently listening to this on, thank you. But if you share it with more people, then we can extend the audience even more. And we can have even more crazy discussions on our Discord, for example, which you're not part of. You know, we have cool conversations there, too. But if there's some other platform you want us to be on, hey, that will help us expand as well. Tell us about it. And if it's feasible, we'll make it happen. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.